content warning. This episode of Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman contains discussions of depictions of heavy violence throughout the episode, as well as a specific section which includes discussion of abuse, sex work, alcoholism, and drug addiction. If any of these topics are triggering to you, there are timestamps in the episode description to skip over the specific discussions. Thank you, and enjoy the show. December 7th, 2021. In a week and two days, I will be in a movie theater seeing Spider-Man No Way Home. On that same day, December 16th, this episode will be released to the public. Over the next hour and a half-ish or so, we will be discussing why the greatest Marvel superhero, yeah, I said it, why he will and should be in that movie. Welcome to Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman. I am Jackson Heyman, and yes, we are talking about the man without fear, the devil of Hell's Kitchen himself, Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. Yes, this is another character dive episode because I really liked doing this la for the last episode, and I've got another great guest for this one. One of my closest friends, uh, probably an e even bigger Daredevil fan than I am, Sam Gutierrez. Thanks for having me on. I don't know if you'd say I'm a bigger fan than you, but I'm definitely... The, my Daredevil love, especially over this pa these past couple of months, past years, is skyrocketed. Yeah. It's all going to It's all going to culminate. It's all going to culminate no in, hopefully, in hopefully. literally eight days. Oh, no, no, nine days. When I am sitting in the movie theater and just, and he shows up on screen, uh, they, I'm telling you, they CG'd that, that arm, they CG'd that arm. That's, that's you Charlie Cox's arm. they that arm? Oh my God, I hope so. I hope so. How are what, you doing, Sam? What a time Sam? to be a Daredevil fan. Oh my gosh. I am, I think this week, it's been a long semester. We're mm -hmm. finishing up. We're about to, we're at my Marquette University right now. And we are, um, we're finishing up, I'm finishing up my semester this week, honestly. I think next week I have one quiz and one paper due, but everything is due this week. And so um, I'm happy to be taking a nice little study break to sit down and talk about why I love Daredevil. He has kind of come out of like nowhere of how much I love him. I'll go down my rankings of my favorite Marvel superheroes, but um, Daredevil has quickly entered top five, top three superheroes and marvel comics in my opinion yeah and i haven't even read that many comics by him i just um obviously i fell in love with him through the daredevil tv show which i think is one of the greatest uh comic book tv shows of all time it but, might um, be one of the best adaptations of anything ever 
I I just and it was only three seasons long. It was only, only three seasons long. Only three seasons on Netflix. Sleeper sleeper hit for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I will say though, uh, we in this house we have no love for showrunner Jeff Loeb because of just every bad thing he's done. But the show, the cast, everything about it, it's amazing. One of the best TV shows, one of the probably the best adaptation of a Marvel comic ever. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Um, I will also say, I have a lot of love for the 2000, I believe, three movie, the 2000, the Ben Affleck movie. Yes, with, uh, you know, I just want. I watched that. I remember I texted you. I watched it the other. I sat down and watched it for the first time over the summer. I thought it was hilarious. And, like, I knew it was, like, known as, like, a very bad movie. And so I think that going into it, think I feel like with a lot of these, at least a lot of these comic book movies that I've seen over the years, the ones who have been really bad, I've actually very much enjoyed them because I've gone in being like, oh, this is going to be really bad. Yeah. But I really enjoyed it. I thought, um, oh, who's the actor who played Kingpin? I thought he did a fantastic job. Oh, Michael job. Clark Duncan. I loved, I loved um, seeing John Favreau as foggy i thought that was hilarious um and i think and then the sound the soundtrack oh my gosh not one but two evanescent songs sam (laughs) it's glorious Uh, it is the perfect cheesy early 2000s movie it was it was like just it was like a snapshot yes of like the early 2000 cgi and the early 2000s act it was like perfect it is, like, yes, it is like perfect, is it the perfect blend of like the Wachowskis with the Matrix, but also like a uh-huh. Baz Luhrmann movie, like Romeo and Juliet or Moulin Rouge, like blending like the Matrix <laughs> and Moulin Rouge together into the perfect like style over substance, um, schlocky yet incredibly interesting movie that I'm just like. I want to examine this with every fiber of my being because of just every choice they made is so bonkers. Uh, Colin Farrell as Bullseye gives one of the most most feral performances I've ever seen. If if you haven't already, uh, I think we both highly recommend that you go watch the 2000s Daredevil, Daredevil movie starring then-couple Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner, um, Colin Farrell doing an extremely bonkers performance, um, Michael Clark Duncan giving an incredibly riveting Kingpin performance, and John Favreau's just kind of hanging out, having a good there. time. Oh my gosh. I, I really... something. I think something that stood out to me from that movie was especially um, like the world of New York that they had because, like, all of New York was, like, very CG. But, like, <laughs> the way, like, they used, like, the lighting and everything, it, it felt like you were somewhere else. And I, I love that. But where, um, where, like, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies are, like, the perfect representation of what living and growing up and coming of age in New York City is as a superhero, that Daredevil movie is, like you are so dissociated from New York itself that exactly. you have completely gone somewhere else and it is wonderful. Now, Sam, oh, um, 
tell us a bit about your like history with comics, like how you got into all of this and especially how you like really fell in love with Daredevil. I know we've touched on it a little bit already with the Netflix series and the great yeah. movie, but um, <laughs> what, what else has really ignited your love for this character? Oh man. So um, to be honest, if I'm being in all honesty, I'm not, a, I'm, I've never been like a huge, huge comic person um, from that, from that perspective. But um, I've always appreciated them. I think the first comics I've ever read, oh my gosh, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if you got this or if it was just my area. Every Sunday when I was a kid, I don't know. I, don't, I think we signed up. My family must have signed up for a subscription, but they sent us essentially like a replica copy of an original Spider-Man um from like one of like the original spider-man runs what and so like yeah i have a bunch we have like a pile of like they're not like legitimate like authentic versions they're all like these like cheap replicas with like new ads or like like modern ads in them but they're all like the original spider-man like i have copies of spider-man and the fantastic four i think it's amazing spider-man like wh which one is that um I'm trying to remember what that is. Spider Spider-Man versus um, what's that robot like the thinker? He has like the boxing match oh, yes. with Flash Thompson. Yes. Um, I had a copy of that. It was all the way down to the week. I think we stopped getting it. And so like I was a kid, so I was like, oh, the series must have ended there. It ended with like Doc Ock's return. I think I got left off on the cliffhanger with Doc Ock returning and Betty Brant's brother getting killed and her blaming Spider-Man. Well, I, I I'm glad you didn't get these comics as a child when they got to like the death of Gwen Stacy or, or things like <laughs> that. Cause like I get I, the green goblin though. Oh, but you're just so a little kid the... being like, Oh, Oh, she's falling. Uh, oh, no, Oh no. Oh I did not... no. I was not under the impression until I went back later and saw him that like someone had been shot. It was just like a scene. And then like, I thought like the guy got sick and fell to the ground. I was like, Oh no, what happened? Oh, he's dead. <laughs> And then I go back and read it. It's like, no, man, he, he got shot. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, that, that, that would actually make a lot of sense why he uh, reacted yes. that way. Yes, we, we, we love to introduce kids to characters like the Punisher or... <laughs> um, but then after, so that was like the first comics I read. But then I remember I went on this huge kick when I was in middle school of, um, it, was the, it was the Sonic the Hedgehog comic books. I got the... Um, it start. It was all the Sonic the Hedgehog Archie comic books. Oh my I got god! It, I know um, exactly what you're talking about. I got a copy. The, the first copy I got was a copy of Shadow the Hedgehog because I saw him and I said, "That guy looks badass. Please let me get this version of him." Because like it was a whole thing where like we would go to see my uh, my grandparents lived out in Des Moines, Iowa, and so we would go out there and um, there was a comic book shop near their, near their house. There were comic book shops around our houses, but we never went to them, so it was like a special occasion when we went out to Des Moines. We would go to this comic book shop. It was like Mayhem Comics. And um, we would go there, we'd get a comic book, and then we'd come home and like read read it over and over and over. It was like a single issue. We would come home and read it over and over and over yeah. for like the entire day. And it was amazing. Um, so I got a lot of Sonic the Hedgehog comic books. I probably have a whole collection of Archie Sonic comics um well sam we know then, what episode you're coming back for yes uh, dude have me back for i will bring i will bring them all and i'll show you all of my favorite we ones will talk about like, uh, you know what uh like because like i i've played a couple of the sonic games i've i've mm -hmm. never read any of like the sonic comics um mm -hmm. i 
spoiler alert about me, I listened to a lot of like the soundtracks for the Sonic games, but like nice. the Sonic Adventure yes. games, like like the Crush Forty, like Butt Rock, it's Mm-hmm. It's it scratches the same itch the Daredevil movie does for me like it's it's style over substance and it's just oh my like, gosh that's awesome but yes Sonic comics and then you sort of you've sort of really gotten back into it li- with like the rise of the MCU right or especially yes, this year definitely mm-hmm. so I was always a big superhero fan but uh, definitely with the MCU it kind of encouraged me to because I went on this huge Marvel kick. But I only loved the MCU, and so my parents got me a couple Avengers comics. I know I read the um, the cent- one one of the Century runs from the early from the newer um, Avengers, like the new Avengers. I think it was a Century run from the new Avengers. Yeah. And then um, I would always get like one comic book when like we go see my grandparents. I got I got really into Avengers Academy, which we'll, I'll get into in a minute. Um, and then obviously the summer Jackson, we went to a bunch of comic. We went to a bunch of comic stores a couple times. Yeah, um, and, um, fun story. Um, I well, I lived in the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for about four years, going to school there with people like Sam, and mm-hmm. literally most of the guests that have appeared on this podcast so far. But <laughs> um, I was living and working in Milwaukee this last summer, like, my last hurrah sort of there before coming back to the Twin Cities, and I was like, oh, I've never really been around much of this city because I didn't really have the time to in school, and mm-hmm. I also didn't like going out places. And yeah. and I was like, oh, I'm also getting back into comics and comic stores, and I was like, hey... Sam, you want to come do a bunch of comic <laughs> stores with me this summer and just like travel around? And so we did that a couple of times and it was probably one of the one of my favorite that really it really it was one of the things that kind of inspired this podcast because like I loved just talking about stuff with people and like showing them things that they should be reading and telling them about this all this knowledge that I have like pushed other important facts out of my head to to memorize and know yeah oh my gosh those that, that was that was a fun i mean we went that one twice three times we we went a couple of times um we went we saw, went and saw a couple of the movies when we could um, oh my gosh yes. oh wait, should we should we tell this story on um, <laughs> quick 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 sidebar quick sidebar um um so it was the two of us and um former guest on the show, um, Nicholas Chonk-Cordonier. Um, we are going to see, uh, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Um, we hang out for, we hang out for a bit, uh, during the day, and then we go see the movie at night, and then, uh, we're just hanging around, we're getting our stuff, there's, like, a thunderstorm raging outside, but, like, I don't think any of us knew that. And so because we were in Mayfair Mall for like the past like hour hour and a half. Yeah. And just like chilling. And so like we we go into the movie theater. We get our drinks, we get our popcorn, we get our stuff. We're about to walk in. Lights start to flicker and the power goes out. Totally out. Power it comes goes back on for a minute. But then it goes out again. Yeah. And we're just kind of like sitting there we're like so are we still able to see this movie or what's what's the whole deal here? We wait for like 20 minutes and then a guy comes up to us then and, and he's like, um, 
Yeah, sorry. Uh, we're just going to close up for the night because we don't know when the power is going to come back on. And then, you know, we still saw the movie because we, of course, were HBO able Max. to... Thanks to HBO Max, we were able to watch it at Chonk's apartment. And it, it was still... It was great. And you know what? That is one of the things, like... I am okay with, with, like, this rise of streaming and, like, premium access to certain movies that you could go see in theaters. Mm -hmm. Like, say this wild occurrence happens again. Hopefully it never does. But then, yeah. like, oh, you can just go watch it in the comfort of your own home and just hang out with your buddies and you get to, to riff the movie way more than you would have done in the movie theater. <laughs> Watching the like seeing seeing the movie like actually how watching it is definitely not the same. Like I wish I could have like physically like been in the theater on the big screen and yep. watched like the Suicide Squad. But um, it it was still it was so much more fun to sit there and just like you know make jokes about the movie, make callbacks to the the original Suicide. What are we some kind of Suicide Squad? Hey, uh, this is Katana. Uh, I, I wouldn't She's bother. I wouldn't bother getting killed by her. Her sword traps the, the souls of her enemies. <laughs> but um, yeah. And I think I don't know. I'm kind of torn with it, honestly. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, these streaming services are kind of taking the fun out of everything. But moments like that, I'm like, yes. But I also think this is going to be one more sidebar before we get back into Daredevil, unless you want to keep talking about it. No, let's hear your I sidebar. Think this, it's, it's super interesting, I think, to see at least what the MCU is able to accomplish with Disney Plus as a streaming platform. Yeah. I think that is – if anybody is, like, benefiting from these rises in streaming platform, I think it's the MCU specifically because I have loved what they have done where they can now tell these stories that maybe, like, they would have had to rush or maybe, like, had to, like, do – like, put a lot of time into and they can push it out now on their streaming platform. And then just kind of have it. And so, like, I like I mean, like, I think the big thing I like to talk about is um, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. I think that is kind of, like, the prime example of, like, why I love it so much. Falcon and the Winter Soldier isn't my favorite of the MCU shows. I think right now it goes uh, – I think it goes Hawkeye and then, um, and then Loki and then either WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay. I can't tell. I don't know which one. They're very – because it's a whole other conversation, but um, I I love the fact that they're still going to be making Captain America content with Captain America confirmed with confirmed with Anthony Mackie coming back for it, and now we don't have to sp waste this whole it not waste that's the wrong word to use we don't have to make a whole movie about him becoming Captain America we can we now can you guys if you if you don't want to watch the MCU uh, mini series uh, the the MCU series on Disney Plus you can now go in and watch the Captain America movie and now but those who have now seen the Disney Plus show now have all this added knowledge of like this is his journey he took to become Captain America like there was a whole nother like thing he did and now let's just watch him be Captain America absolutely like i think i i saw a tweet somewhere of someone who was like the MCU is slowly evolving into what like Marvel Comics is at this point, which is like a bunch exactly. a bunch of different stories and universes and things going on all at once 
and you can either cons- and they're all interconnected. You you can either and you but but the thing about it is you can either consume all of it. You can see every movie. You can watch every streaming show. You can buy all the tie-in media and video games and theme park rides and such. But if you don't want to, if you don't want to commit to all of that, you don't have to. You can just watch what you want to watch and you will still, for the most part, um, <laughs> Loki, um, you will still get a coherent, um, interesting story. Exactly. And I that is incredible. Like, Kevin Feige, hats off to you for being able to pull that off. I mean, like, Marvel went, like, almost bankrupt. And, like, to see where they come with, like, the first Iron Man to, like, this huge universe. And, like, like the MCU is getting weird. And I am so happy about that because it's about time we start getting weird with it. And I think that it, it's it's just incredible, the interconnectedness of it all. And, like, the like you know, just like just exactly how you said it. I'm, I would just re- be restating what you said. But now yeah. it's like, you know, like in comic books where, like, if you didn't read an issue but you picked up one issue and they make some reference and there's, like, the little, like, asterisk with the little box in the corner that's, like, as seen in Amazing Spider-Man 167, you know, it's now like that's what that's what the Marvel Universe is, but that's what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing now. You, you know, see I... Captain America, and they'll make some comment about the Flag Smashers, and everyone who watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier will be like, "Oh, I know that, I know that, I know that." It's like it's like the Leonardo DiCaprio Once Upon a Time in Hollywood meme, just like the. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. Again, the second podcast in a row where we do visual gags that none of that none of the audience can see. But yes, uh, Daredevil. Um, let's let's go right into the history of this wonderful character. So Daredevil was yes. created in 1964 by writer Stanley and artist Bill Everett. Um, with some uncredited art consultation from Jack Kirby, one of the, one of the greatest artists of all time, my personal opinion, he he sort of kind of falls on the wayside of like these other characters that get introduced through through like this Silver Age of Marvel. So like Fantastic Four, Spider Man, X Men, Avengers, Iron Man, Hulk, they all come around, like they get settled, and then. Daredevil comes along, this dude in, like, a yellow and red suit with, like, a baton and billy club set. And he's, mm-hmm. like, and he's a very unique character that the Marvel Universe didn't have up until that point. He is a... Matt, Matt Murdock is a lawyer who, at a very young age, saves a blind man who is crossing the street and about to get hit by a truck. And unfortunately for Matt, that truck contains uh, radioactive waste, and some of it splashes onto his eyes and blinds him. But the waste also gives him heightened... His other senses are heightened, and the waste gives him, like, a radar sense, which allows him to see where everything's coming. And throughout his adolescence he begins training his body physically and his mind going to law school and he basically becomes like a lawyer by day and a vigilante by night especially after the death of his father the boxer known as Batlin Jack Murdoch and i want to talk about Daredevil's first issue for a second specifically 
about the characterization of Jack Murdoch. Now, in a lot of recent Daredevil media, um, Jack Murdoch is a boxer, but he's also a very um, abusive and alcoholic character to Matt. W- wouldn't you say so, Sam? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I would say that. And what's, what's so weird about, like, this first issue of Daredevil is none of that is there. And Jack Murdoch is is kind of the best father ever. So, like, he's he's just trying to help Matt and help him succeed to become a lawyer. And it's not until, like, later in the run that he develops these abusive tendencies. You see, I, I mean, I honestly did not know that. I think, because obviously I've had that only, I've only had that one, um, I've only had limited, like, knowledge of who he, who he is, but it's always been that, like, alcoholic, abusive father relationship but i think seeing that i guess knowing that that character was at least originally supposed to be like that but then falls to that is super interesting yeah okay well it that sort of gets introduced by a creative creative team that we will talk about later in the episode but so Mm -hmm. all of all of that sort of gets introduced as well as his main supporting cast which includes his uh legal partner and best friend uh fred uh no franklin foggy nelson and um their secretary at nelson and murdoch and matt's eventual first love interest karen page so these are like the two core characters of matt's supporting cast and they they are very interesting characters like um, Karen gets extremely developed much later in the series, and she really goes down a dark path. But again, we are going to talk about a writer and artist who did that. But Foggy mm-hmm. is kind of one of my favorite, like, best friend characters in all of comics. He's just like he is fun. He's just he's just a fun, lovable guy, and it's he's he's a goofball, and he just plays off Matt really well, I think. Like, through a lot of Daredevil media, Matt is this introspective, brooding character. And Foggy's just there for his friend and there to help. It's super cool. I mean, like, the, like, the, the, like they, how they work together is really cool to see, at least, like, in all the Daredevil media I consumed. You know, watching them the way they are, like, they're not, like, opposites of each other. They're kind of opposites of each other, but it's, like... It's it's cool to see their dynamic be represented in all these different medias, but still like have that core aspect of like yes, like this is Matt Murdock's best friend. Yes, like they they go to law school together. They um they start a law they start a law practice together, and later mm-hmm. on in the series, uh, Foggy eventually becomes Matt's legal counsel multiple times. Like he, I don't know many like best friend characters in comics that would literally go to court for you like that shows mm-hmm. how much foggy cares about his friend that he's willing to represent him in a court of law seriously it's it's cool i really and it's, of course obviously the main media i've consumed and the tv shows and movies the two actors who i've seen portrayed foggy nelson have also been incredible and added to that relationship absolutely john john favreau and why am I blanking on his name? Uh, I know. Hold on. Hold on. 
It's not Haley Joel Osment. I thought it was Haley Joel Osment for the longest time. It was Eldon Henson. Eldon Henson. Okay, yes. In the Netflix series, he was played by Eldon Henson. Um, both incredibly interesting performances because of really what they're given. And I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Uh, I would be remiss to not talk about. Um, Deborah Ann Wool's performance as Karen Page in the Netflix series. Oh my she, gosh, incredible! She in, fan, I, I, that is the if if they're bringing back, honestly, like I feel like they need to bring back both of these actors as um, Foggy and Karen respectively, but like especially Deborah Ann Deborah Ann Wolf, correct? Oh, uh, Wool, I believe. Wool, okay, uh, Deborah Ann Wool. Um, bringing her back as Karen Page is a must. She is fantastic, she, especially the way they developed her character. She goes on amazing. a journey, and like, because I've only there's like a period of time where like they get away from Matt entirely and just focus on Karen and yeah. her development, like where she's been and where she's going, and it is incredible. It is like one of the most heartbreaking episodes, and like, but it's also it's also so good. It's yeah. so good, and it's really like. It's kind of a departure from the other things that I've seen Wall in, because like, I've only ever I've only seen her in uh, two other things. One of which being the 2019 film Escape Room, which, you know, what a mediocre <laughs> movie. But she was she was really good in she was really good in Escape Room. Uh, but then. Also, she plays a lot of Dungeons and Dragons on live-streamed events, including Critical Role. Um, she DM'd the Geek and Sundry show Relics and Rarities, I believe. Um, I just got to shout her out because not only is she a fantastic actress, she's just a great D&D player, and that is something I really respect as someone who really likes D&D and RPGs and such. But, yeah. So you have Karen and Foggy and Matt, this, like, legal trio for the for the first couple of years of the series uh karen eventually leaves to pursue an acting career and then matt gets a bunch of other love other love interests some of which we might mention later but um Mm -hmm. let's talk about something that's had that has really evolved since like the original first issue of daredevil um that's his suit like because you start out with like the red and yellow like suit and it's like a unitard and a long underwear and he's just going around beating up bad guys in the most like in the most he he's going around beating them up in the most uh conspicuous outfit because like oh i'm looking at it right now it's so bright the colors are so bright and you don't you don't think of like nighttime vigilantes going out like dressed in, like in a that. bright yellow and it's really cool though and i hope that we can see an iteration of it i did hear a possible rumor we could be seeing an iteration. I, that's another story for another time you know i'd like to see them use this suit more than the um a, another iteration of his suit besides his main one which is like the like the black combat gear with like the bandana mm-hmm. tied around his face like that is a great like origin costume for him, but it is not my favorite because it doesn't present like a striking image. It's just it's just That's like an 
like a ninja outfit, basically. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, and hold on, just like from my experience with the show, obviously, when I first saw the show, I absolutely hated the, the, the ninja outfit. I was like, what is this? Give me my horns and my daredevil suit. What is he doing? But um, I've quickly, I quickly grew to love it, honestly, because and it, like, especially like, we'll talk about it later with the series, but everything it represents of like what Matt was, like at least like his like mindset at the time he is in both of these suits. It, I really appreciate that. And so, you know, because that usually when he puts on the ninja suit, at least from what I've seen in Daredevil media, it kind of means it's about to go down. He's kind of done playing around. It's his He's not most, here like... to like wear the costume. It's just like his like most, I don't even know if like this is the right word to say it, but it's like his most like vulnerable suit because it's not a whole, it's not like gear to protect them. But like it, he's not worried about himself. He is just worried about doing the job he needs to do. Yeah, I... So I'm going to, we're going to talk about this later, but um, there is a quote from the current ongoing Daredevil series by Chip Zdarsky. Um, there is a point where like it flashes back to he's, to Matt is in confession with a priest and he's wearing the ninja suit and the priest calls him addicted to violence. And I think that is like the perfect quote to represent that suit for him this is at him at his most violent at his most uh just his most damaged his most vulnerable like you said it's it's when things are gonna get extremely dark and he needs to hide everything about who he is yes exactly but i think daredevil suits though yeah my favorite iteration is the all red spandex outfit Designed by Wally Wood in issue seven, um, that's when it fir- that's when it first appears, and it's become his most uh, mo- most used costume, like this full red mm-hmm. with the in- the entire like red maroon outfit with the devil horns and the big DD on his chest. It is, it's not you don't see this type of outfit much in especially with vigilantes, like you see a mm-hmm. lot of you see a lot of black. You see a lot of capes, and but you don't see a lot of red. And I, I think it's such a good color to represent who Matt is to like the criminals of Hell's Kitchen and New York City. He is a devil. He is like this devilish form that comes down and delivers penance. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much we'll be able to talk about like the Catholic allegory the, the Catholic imagery of Matt as a character. But there is a lot in there, and it's really shown through this suit specifically. Mm-hmm. I hope we can talk about that religion aspect, because I think that's super interesting. Let's talk about it right we'll now. Why it. not? Talk about it right now? I think it's super, and I guess I didn't, because I'll, I'll dive into a little personal thing real quick. Because, I mean, I was raised Catholic. I am Catholic. And so, like, as, um, at least growing up, and I knew about the character Daredevil, it didn't really, like phase me that like oh this superhero is catholic because like by the way it was being raised like the church i was you know i kind of had the impression as a kid that like everybody's catholic everybody's the same religion as me you know and so i didn't have that like understanding yet you know as i've like grown up and looked back it's super interesting of how like central his religion catholicism is to his character which i think because catholicism is definitely a 
at least like recently, I can admit that like it's like a controversial, a controversial, um, it can be a controversial religion because of just like certain people that represent it. But I think it's super interesting the way they use Catholicism to justify Matt's choices, his like development, and like his crime fighting lifestyle when he is beating the crap out of people. Yeah, you so I'm I'm gonna connect this back to the Nightcrawler episode that came out to that came out a couple of weeks ago, where like Kurt Wagner is this priest like figure who is all about spreading like goodwill and helping people when he can and loving life. Matt is the complete opposite and he's all about like dishing out punishment and penance for your sins and sort of like I, there's a lot of like baptism by fire imagery in the concept of Daredevil. Like he will constantly mm-hmm. like go out and and beat up these criminals as a way to uh, atone for his own sins, but also help people realize that this is not the right way to live. It's such a very interesting take on Catholicism and how you go about uh, atoning for your sins. Exactly, yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, you put it perfectly. I think that aspect of, like, it's not just doing it for other people. He's doing it for himself to essentially get his own devils out. It's super, super interesting. And, like, I think, I mean, is there any other character, like, major character in comics that, like, has that aspect of religion that, like, you know, like, affects their character and, like, the choices they make, not just as a person, you know, but, like, especially as a superhero besides their death. I mean, I can't really think of one. I'm sure you have better understanding or could pull up a better example. But like, Honestly, I think I, I would th- just, I would just go out and say it. Um, Daredevil is Catholic guilt personified. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's it. I think that's it. Yeah, that's, that's nice. exact, that's exactly it. He's, He's very much like he he feels a lot of anger and resentment towards like this towards God, but also feels like he has a duty now from God to help others atone for their sins. I, I don't know. I think it's I mean, like the more I look back and the more I look at it from like that aspect of like there's no other superheroes who like bring religion in as heavily as this character. I think it's super interesting, especially with, like, I mean, if you watch the the Netflix show specifically, like, it's, like, it's definitely, for superhero shows at the time, it's one of the most violent superhero shows. Absolutely. That's, like, ever been around. I think it will continue to be the most violent superhero show that we ever see. Like, I Mm -hmm. don't think anything will top that. And... The fact that, like, when the violence is there, the Catholicism is, like, there are so many instances where, like, I mean, like, Matt's base of operations is basically a church in the yeah. third season. And it's, it's like, like that understand, you know, it, it's just, it's, in, it's really interesting. And to tie it back to the Daredevil movie for a bit, um, there are tons of scenes, like, in churches where Ben Affleck is just giving his all and just it's it's incredible i'm not i'm not gonna start stop talking about the daredevil movie because <laughs> it's so fun i That's love good, it so much because 
I won't stop talking about the Daredevil TV show because I I will go back and watch that just like I think I've watched the season three finale because that's I feel like that's the best episode yeah. in the entire series in my opinion. I will go back and watch that like like religiously. It's 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 so good, and we'll we'll dive into why I think it's so good. But um, I think the way that all these Daredevil media people talking about have used what the character was kind of built on and use that to expand the character in like unexpected ways, like with the religion, with like his supporting cast, I think is incredible. And like the fact that he's doing this all like, I wouldn't say he's like an under the radar. He's a very like recognizable superhero, but like in terms of like popular characters, he is definitely under the radar. Yeah, absolutely. To like see this happen, to see them do all that. It's like people you need to appreciate Daredevil more. Which is why I'm so glad that um, Kevin Feige um, announced literally yesterday that oh if God. we, if and when we see Daredevil in the MCU, he will be portrayed when this episode drops. He you will, will see be portrayed Daredevil when this episode drops by Charlie Cox, the best person to put on the Daredevil suit. Um, just. An incredibly layered performance. And like, and Ben Affleck, okay, so Ben Affleck did a good job, but that's Ben Affleck acting as Matt Murdock. Look, Charlie Cox, Charlie Cox is Daredevil. Like, the performance he gives is absolutely incredible. It is so, like, it is so, like, authentic. It, it is so, like, layered, like you were saying. It's, it's, it's it is amazing. Charlie Cox gets this character. And he does. I hope he's around for a while with it. I hope he I, am, it sounds like and we'll get into the what I've heard, but it sounds like that the MCU has a lot of plans for Daredevil and Charlie Cox, which makes me super super excited. Absolutely. And now I kind of want to get into the next sort of segment. Um we're going to Skip ahead in the character's history a couple of decades. Um, I'm going to put this at the beginning of the episode, too, but um, major content warning for dark content, abuse, assault, addiction, alcoholism, hyperviolence. There's going to be a lot of subjects like that that if you want, if you feel that you need to skip over this part of the episode, please skip over it. So... These writers come in, and then in the late 70s, a writer named uh, Roger McKenzie comes onto the book. And Roger McKenzie is like a horror comics writer who makes a lot of horror elements with the... Who mixes a lot of horror elements and the street fighting of Daredevil. And he's paired up with an artist. And this artist hates the way McKenzie writes his scripts. To the point where he threatens to quit the book if he still has to write, he still has to pencil the bullshit Mackenzie is writing. And eventually the editor, Denny O'Neill, is like, hey, do you want to take a shot at writing the book? And the artist is like, yes, absolutely. And this artist turned writer of Daredevil is Frank Miller. And Frank Miller is a very polarizing figure in comics. So I'm going to go ahead and state out my 
personal opinions on Frank Miller in as succinct of a way as I can. Um, horrible person. I don't like his political views. I don't like how he reacts to how he acts around other people. He's just not a great person. Um, his Batman stuff, I hate it. I don't, I don't like most of it. Um, his indie stuff, not good. It, uh, Holy Terror is extremely Islamophobic. Um, lot of sexism, lot of xenophobia, lot of racism, just so much in his other work that I don't like. And I, I, I can see why some people may like his Batman stuff, especially Dark Knight Returns. Like, that is, like, the seminal Batman story. I don't like it, but that is a story for another time when we actually talk about Batman on this. But, um, mm -hmm. I think... You do a whole, like, two-part episode of Batman. I might have to. Um, but, because <laughs> there's a lot I don't like about Frank Miller. But in his run, his, his two runs on Daredevil... Um, where he's paired with artists uh, Klaus Janssen and David Mazzuchelli. Um, this is, I think, his best work. Because this is some of the first stuff that Frank Miller is ever writing himself. So you don't see all of this other stuff that comes in his later work. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of it. But you you see where he's coming from in terms of, like, the tone this story is taking. Because I don't think Frank Miller knows how to write Batman, but he knows how to write Daredevil. And mm -hmm. under Miller, the book becomes this dark crime epic. Um, and a lot more of, like, what we know about Daredevil as a character comes in. It's Frank Miller who introduces Jack Jack Murdoch's Jack Murdoch's alcoholism and abusive tendencies towards Matt. Um, it's Frank Miller who makes Karen Page a drug addict who eventually turns to doing porn and sex work and is in multiple abusive relationships. Um, it's Miller who also introduces Daredevil's best antagonist to the cast wilson fisk the kingpin now yes. the kingpin wait, of crime wait, has on. been around for a long time in comics okay, okay. um he started out as a spider-man villain which i was gonna say did frank miller come up with kingpin that'd be really upsetting no but frank miller that, did not sorry, come up with kingpin i can't remember off the top God. of my head who created the character i you know, I'll, I'll figure this out another time. But Kingpin yeah, sorry, starts sorry, out sorry, as a Spider-Man villain who basically controls all the crime in New York City. And then he sort of fucks off for a while and uh, goes somewhere else. It's never really explained. But in Daredevil 172, one of Miller's first issues on the book where he's the solo writer... Um, the Kingpin comes back to New York City's uh, organized crime world and other people have sort of taken over a bunch of other gangs and stuff, but he comes back and he declares himself to be in charge of everything. And he basically sets his sights on Matt, who is doing his best to stop organized crime in Hell's Kitchen. 
And this is where we get one of the best, like, protagonist-antagonist relationships in all of comics. Because you've got Matt, who is, like, who is a scrapper who gets knocked down and gets back up again. And you've got the calculating, uh, organized kingpin who also is able to hold his own and pack a punch against Matt. Because... <laughs> Um, for the listeners, Sam just posed, like, uh, Kingpin in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Extremely big, taking up most of the screen. Um, and that's, his design is, his design is so interesting. Because he's, like, 250, 300 pounds of pure muscle. He is this massive, imposing figure who runs his crime organization like a businessman. And this is going to be a Kingpin mini-dive of the Daredevil episode. Please, please, please yeah, do a Kingpin Yeah, let's talk about the Kingpin. <laughs> because what I was going to say, you, you, I mean, you put it perfectly. Obviously, like, you have your, bat, you have your Batman and the Joker. You have, you have your Spider-Man and Green Goblin, you know. But it's like, in my opinion, right up there who should be competing with them is the kingpin in Daredevil. I yeah. mean, like, one simply, like, when I, like, in my eyes, like, one cannot exist without the other. You can throw in Bullseye, and you can say Bullseye is, like, a good match, but, like, it's it's nothing because the truth is that it's 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 Matt Murdock, Daredevil, and Wilson Fisk, the kingpin. It is, like, the perfect, it is the perfect pairing, and, like, it's, I, obviously, I've loved the show and I've watched it over and over, and the reason of the show, it's, like, because the truth is when I watch the show, it's like Matt Murdock is amazing. Like obviously Charlie Cox does an amazing, amazing job as Matt Murdock, and he like makes half of the show. Half of the show. The other half of that is because of I don't know how to. I'm gonna have a really hard time pronouncing his last name. Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk absolutely blows it out of the park as Kingpin. And like it, like it, I get chills. I could watch him forever act as Kingpin. And good thing is, I'm gonna be able to watch him soon because I'm telling you tonight, as we're recording this episode, Hawkeye episode four comes out, and he will be in it. He will be in it. I'm willing to put ten dollars on it. Um, we will. It's, I am. I guaranteed. After after this episode, we will do a little mini episode where like I just record the two record like me calling you. And we'll just, like, see what we were right about, what we were wrong about, see how much we correctly manifested. Because I think we are going to see Wilson Fisk and Matt Murdock so, 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 so soon. Oh, so, I mean, the fact, oh, excuse me, the fact, the fact that we are getting confirmation from Kevin Feige that, oh, yeah, you're going to see Daredevil soon. It's going to be Charlie Cox means, like, you wouldn't do that if you weren't planning on dropping him in like a week or two. Maybe like you know, or if you have like a She-Hulk series that centers around the lawyer, maybe you have to introduce another lawyer in the MCU to like help to like help like show that relationship. I and I, like I think it would be so interesting if we get like Matt as a public defender and Jen as a prosecutor, and it and just like a friendly rivalry that shows up both in the courtroom and in the and in the city streets exactly i'm very i heard a rumor jackson this is a rumor there's an alleged 
rumor going around that like we're gonna see Matt and and She Hulk, and we're gonna see Matt and She Hulk sleep together. So we'll see. We'll see uh, if we see that. I don't, I don't, I don't know, know how I, like I feel, that. but I I don't know quick, if I do either. But they quick, said it was it quick might have tangent been a about Daredevil's so love interest. I I don't know if I like Matt with a partner or a girlfriend because I I think, I think he's a very solitary character who isn't ready for a stable relationship like this because he is not a stable person if we're being honest yeah we'll talk about matt's stability in a little bit because um i i read i read some stuff today actually that really showed me how unstable of a character he can be but what (laughs) that's what makes him such a compelling character um but back to wilson such an interesting character who is just so compelling and one of the most incredible antagonists of any superhero and i i think what sets him apart from others is that he's multifaceted he has the brains the money the the social standing to run an empire like this but then he also has the muscle and the fighting abilities which are shown throughout miller's run on daredevil which i i have to talk about um here's here's how you train your body to be like the kingpin you you go into a gym uh you get a bunch of your subordinates to fight you and constantly try to attack you and you defend all of them off and you're wearing only a speedo is that the screen is that the screenshot you sent me this week i sent you multiple screenshots about of of wilson like decking people and all he's wearing is a speedo and you know what that is a man who is comfortable with it comfortable enough with his body that he will train with all of his subordinates to basically become the best while wearing almost nothing. Exactly. And he just like, I mean, like you mentioned it before with like, he has the brains and like, I think the social standing is also a fascinating um, aspect to him where he's not just this like, He's not an underground figure who's running it all behind the scenes, and like he is like he's like beloved half of the time. He is and like in the public eye all the time, and he is just behind the scenes, absolutely brutal, and makes Matt's life like a living hell. Uh, speaking of making Matt's life a living hell, um, let's talk about the seminal story of Frank Miller, one of Frank Miller's runs on the book. Um, Born Again, which comes near the end of his second run in the late 80s. And this is the story where Karen Page, who is now a drug addict, doing porn in extremely abusive relationships, she she sells Daredevil's secret identity to somebody just so she can get by for the next couple of days on drug money. And the name in the envelope makes its way from crime boss to crime boss to crime boss all the way to Kingpin's desk. And he uses that to 
ruin Matt's life. He, um, his apartment gets foreclosed upon, his bank accounts get frozen, he's audited by the IRS, his girlfriend breaks up with him. That's not part of it, but that's just another thing <laughs> that makes his life awful. Um, he blows up Matt's apartment building after he gets evicted, oh, and shit. Matt is forced to live on the street, having been almost killed by Kingpin twice in this story, and he is at his lowest, lowest point. He thinks, he is extremely paranoid. He thinks everybody, all of his friends, everyone he loves is out to get him, and he feels like he has to do this on his own. And what basically happens is he become he he goes on a one man revenge quest against the kingpin as he tries to get his life back together. And this is where a lot of that catholic imagery comes back in full force. Like during one of the parts where he's at a the lowest of the low, almost another near death experience. He is saved by a Catholic nun. And it's revealed in the story that that nun is, uh, it's hinted at that she's Matt's mother who w walked out on him and his father. And it's, it's such a, like, an interesting, compelling story that I don't understand how Frank Miller wrote this. Like, I, I'm just... So because it's, because it's so good. Yeah. Yes. Because are you saying because it's so good? Because it's so good. Yes. Because. Like I am baffled that the writer who gave us holy terror about a man <laughs> trying to take down terrorists and being oh, so awful about it gave us this, which is like this, this compelling, vulnerable story where you see a man just lose everything and gain it all back i don't know what happened to i don't know what happened to frank between the 80s and now but what the hell man why can't you Seriously, write like this anymore crazy. it was it was maybe this is one good one good moment yeah i i think like there are but, writers um... who have one good thing that that a lot of that they, that that brings them it's it's sort of like the philosophy of like a, a movie director like you make one great movie and then studios basically give you a blank check to do whatever you want frank miller kept getting blank checks and he kept getting paid and we kept getting worse and worse and worse things but i think his daredevil run is great and we've talked about a lot about why it's so great but, like I said, it gets dark. It is extremely, extremely violent. Um, this is where Matt develops, like, martial arts rather than, like, straight up just punching people. Like, this, Frank Miller introduces the character of Stick, who's his mentor, and also Elektra, who is Matt's most compelling love interest, um, rival, um occasional villain um and like their relationship is super at the heart of this of his run and throughout daredevil media beyond that and like like because mm -hmm. you see them meet for the first time in law school when matt's in law school and electra is like a transfer student 
And they have a fling then, and Matt doesn't see her again until he is on the street and Electra has been hired to take him out. And it's kind of hard to watch because, like, he knows who she is. He loves her. But now they are on opposite sides of this massive conflict. Yeah, no, I think that, um, I don't know, I think you, when, like, when we talk about Daredevil supporting characters, um, I think another, I think just, it's like, after all, like, the Foggy and the Karen Page and the Kingpin, I think right under that for me is also Elektra. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's Bullseye, we'll get into that. But because I think her and Matt's relationship is is incredible for the reasons you just listed. You know, like, the fact that they're not just, like, she's not just a love interest who comes into Matt's life. She is, like, a legitimate rival to him. She, they are, you, mo- most of the time, they're on opposite ends of each other. They're, they're, rarely are they ever on the same side. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, it's, it's like when you see that conflict with them emerge, because the truth is, like, they do both love each other, right? At least Matt loves Electra. I, I don't remember too much if if it's this if it's the feelings mutual for them but i feel like most of the time it is yeah but it's it's irrelevant and like with the stories they they can tell with them because it doesn't matter because they need they have they both have like the jobs that they have to do or they feel like they need to do absolutely and so most of the time most of the things i've seen them in you know they're always on opposite side and sometimes at least like with with um as bad as the Defender, it wasn't the Defender show on Netflix. It wasn't like bad, but it wasn't super good. It had a lot of potential, and it kind of just it fell flat. But the best part of it, obviously, was seeing the like the fall of Electra into the fall of Electra and having to see Matt like deal with that because after like her death, he wanted nothing to do with Daredevil anymore. He like we wanted to give it all up, and then having to watch now the the woman he loves like come back and now he has to face off against her like in in some points it's like it's it's heartbreaking to see yeah and again it's like that like that thing with daredevil where yeah they they push daredevil to like his absolute breaking point and some he does break a lot but they like the stories with daredevil they have put him through the shit she get she gets killed by um by Bullseye in um, issue uh, 181. And there is this iconic cover of that issue where it's like Bullseye and a sigh going straight through Electra's midsection. And it is a brutal cover. And it's just so hard to read, hard to watch, hard to see, because this character has such a interconnected relationship with Matt and then she is gone just like that. And then issue 182 sees Matt like convinced she's still alive. Like he will, he is running around New York trying to find her, trying to find whoever is hiding her from him. And it ends with him like sobbing at her grave. And it's brutal. And you, Frank Miller knew how to make this character brutal, but also just 
so you you feel for Matt in every single issue and there are some there are eventual writers who do that as well um Brian Michael Bendis does a great run on Daredevil I have to mention um Anne Nascenti who takes over after Miller she introduces the character of Typhoid Mary um we get a lot more we get a lot other social issues that Frank Miller didn't want to tackle or shouldn't or couldn't tackle because of his opinions because like Nascenti's run touches on like feminism, eco-terrorism, animal rights terrorists and such and it's a and mm-hmm. I haven't read much of it but it's such a different take from Miller while still keeping a lot of the same tone that he established. And then okay. a couple of other modern writers um take over um Andy Diggle does the event uh, Shadowland where Daredevil basically takes over the hand, this ninja clan in New York, and annexes, like, a city block of Hell's Kitchen and turns it into their new stronghold. And it's up to his friends in the Avengers to try and take him down. And I haven't had the chance to read all of it, but from what I have read, it is a very striking story to see Daredevil... For one of the first time, painted less as an anti-hero and more as a straight-up villain. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you might be asking yourself, um, what's Daredevil up to right now in the scheme of modern comics? So, he is at the center of a very compelling run by Chip Zdarsky with artist Marco Cicetto. I think I'm saying that right. I hope I am. Um, this started in 2019, and... It is a story about accountability more than anything else. It picks up with uh, Matt coming back to Hell's Kitchen after getting in like a fatal car crash. And he is addicted to painkillers. And he feels like he needs to get back to being Daredevil. So he goes on on the street, um, fights three robbers, and hits one of them with, like, enough head trauma to kill him. And throughout all of Matt's Matt's story, you don't see him intentionally kill much. Like, he, if, if people die in the, in the stories, it is either not at his hand or it's out of his control. But this Mm -hmm. is the first time... Somebody dies, and it's Matt's fault. And the book also introduces an extremely compelling new character, uh, police detective Cole North is his name. And he is like a transplant from Chicago to the NYPD who has no frame of reference for, like, street vigilantes. So he comes at it with, like, a very objective approach daredevil killed a man he Mm -hmm. needs to be brought to justice and he is he spends the entire first couple of issues that i've read baffled that like new york police officers are friendly with daredevil like there's a scene where they're like in a standoff and daredevil's like asking Mm -hmm. the cops like how's the family like did did is your is your wife okay did she did the surgery go well and Detective North is just like, what the hell is going on? That's super, that's a super interesting 
you know, thing to pose. Yeah. Because I think another thing, it's like, he kind of has that, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Daredevil has that same thing going for him that Spider-Man does, where it's like, a, gr- a really good aspect of him is the relationship with the city he's fighting for. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Hell's Kitchen is, like, everything to Matt. And, like, I mean, how many, we don't, we, how many times is, he, is the story not taking place in New York? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think that's, the, the way they bring that new character of a new police officer with a whole new, like, perspective of how vigilantes work. It's almost like, it's like, what what would we do if we started seeing superheroes? Exactly, exactly. And you see a lot of residents of Hell's Kitchen being like, oh yeah, Daredevil saved my life. Uh, he, saved my, he saved my cousin's life, but he killed a man. And for the first couple of issues, Matt is like fueled by painkiller addiction and and just sheer shame and trauma and paranoia he thinks he's being set up. Uh, he he thinks, like, someone is framing him. Someone killed him that wasn't him. Someone killed the man that wasn't him. And at the end of the first story arc, Matt's like, shit, I killed a man. I need to be better. I need to use my abilities to actually, to actively do better than this. And I haven't, I've only read the first couple of issues, but it is such a compelling take on the character. And I, I am just so excited to read more of this. Everyone should check out the Chip Zdarsky Daredevil run. Uh, if you, if you are able to, um, a lot of it is available on the Marvel Unlimited app. I believe there are trades out there to buy at, at comic stores, at Barnes & Noble, and Amazon, at bookstores, all sorts of places. Read this book. It is such a compelling take on superheroes and vigilantism and just crime in general. And it also introduces an aspect to Daredevil's universe, to the Marvel universe, actually, that I've never seen before and I'm so excited about. Because do you want to know who the current mayor of New York City is? I think I know, but I'm going to have you say in case I'm wrong. Who's Wilson the Fisk. You have Kingpin as the mayor, who is basically on a crusade against vigilantes. He's like, if I see you acting in my city, you will be brought to justice. And and Detective North is working in like the service of the Kingpin, but you get you see his side of the story a lot more than Matt's from what I've read. And and he's like, mm-hmm. once Daredevil is brought to justice, I am going to take down Fisk. And you see this objective person who has not been around for the decades the Marvel Universe has been in existence just like coming at it from a very different point of view and just trying to do what's right that's so interesting I really really like that because obviously like is is, is the run ongoing right now or uh, it, it is ongoing is right now it is um, so sure for a we'll while play out for a while, Elektra actually takes over as Daredevil while Matt voluntarily goes to prison. Is what is what I've heard. I 
I have not um, read, read that far yet, but I'm so excited to see where this goes. But I do, I do remember hearing about Elektra taking over as Daredevil. I forgot about that. Yeah, but besides, but, um, that's besides awesome. comics, what what else is the character up to? Well, we kind of touched on it, but the character is coming back. Obviously, we talked about earlier in the episode about how Kevin Feige confirmed yesterday. That's what uh, December sixth. From December 6th that Daredevil would be coming back. And if we were to see him in projects, he would be portrayed by Charlie Cox. And now, so I think my big flaw when it comes, I'm so impatient, Jackson. Like, it is crazy (laughs) how impatient I am for these kind of things. I am, like, this close to reading the entire plot for Spider-Man No Way Home. I think there's a chance I've already read most of it in the past. Because I have just gotten so impatient. A little bit of backstory, honestly. I saw the Captain America Civil War, um, the airport fight scene, two weeks before the movie came out. <laughs> it was it was like this discussion board, and someone said, "Hey, I have the I have the entire airport fight scene," and they sent it, and it. I just sat there in my homeroom in high school. And just like freaked out. I said, at first I was like, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. Just send me one thing. Does Ant-Man turn into Giant Man? And he's like, <laughs> yes. And sent the screenshot of it. And I was like, oh my gosh. <sighs> and um, so then I watched the whole thing. But from what we've been hearing from the trades, you know, you know, Daniel RPK, I think is one of the main ones that I kind of read from. I think um, Charles Murphy was another one who I read a lot. So there, there are Daredevil is planning on making a return. It's rumored he'll be in No Way Home. I hope as like the perfect opportunity. I, I mean, I don't know who else. I don't know who else there could be. I like, I literally do not know who else they could use. I, I think the perfect opportunity to really get people talking is to have Kingpin show up in that week's Hawkeye episode, and then. Mm-hmm. You get to see the other side in No Way Home a couple of days later. Because I think the big scene is the fact we were just recently introduced to um, the character Echo, who is a Daredevil character. Mm-hmm. Um, Echo is the adopted daughter. Do- in the comics, she's the adopted daughter of Kingpin. And she is used. Was she used in the Hawkeye run? I can't remember. Like the, um, the one not that the show Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run. She, do- she does okay. not make an appearance in that book that introduces such characters as the tracksuit mafia but i believe she is used in later hawkeye books but i i don't know i read a lot of comics but i don't read everything that's that's understandable so um, we were just introduced recently the mc was just introduced to the character of um, echo and i want to take a brief minute because echo is a daredevil character so i think i'm allowed to take the um take the side route real quick yeah to talk about echo Echo has been in one episode for so far, and she has been fantastic. So essentially, she is a deaf. She is a um, a character who is deaf, and she is, she's kind. Of, from what I understand, um, because we haven't seen a whole lot of her yet, her um her skill set is is kind of similar to Taskmaster. Is that correct? It, it's uh, very. I mean, like it's Echo. Ab- kind absolutely. Of a little bit. Um, it's the like, uh, but in the spectrum of like. Taskmaster to Cassandra Kane, uh the best Batgirl who uh who is mute and doesn't and only 
really speaks through body language, and that is how she is able to read people. I think Echo falls somewhere in the middle, where she is, okay. where, Ma- where Maya Lopez is able to read people's body language very well and mimic that fighting style and their body language. And that is, those are her abilities. Okay. Oh, so I, I have on the thing, because she has been introduced so far. She hasn't a whole, she, she's just been in one episode so far, but already, you know, that whole body language aspect, like the demeanor that she has in the show is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never knew of the character beforehand. And then like they announced earlier on that, Hey, they're planning on doing an echo TV show. And I was like, wow, this character must be really good. And I can confirm that it has been living up to the hype, but I think it's really cool to see how Marvel studio has cast this character. Jax, I don't know if you were made aware of this or if you know about this, but um, I have it up now. I want to make sure I can pronounce her name. Right. Um, do you, do you know how to pronounce the actress's name? Just so I don't of, believe like, I do. Here? Okay. I want to say it's, so it's it's Alcoa Cox. I okay. want to make sure that's. I don't know if that's right, but um. So this is Jackson. We are seeing her acting debut. This is her acting debut. Oh my god! I really? think she was. Um, she was. There was a thing. She was working somewhere else. A couple like before this all started, and she says and there was a featurette that they released where she said there was a casting call that went out on um, Twitter, and she uh, and she auditioned for the role, and. So the character of Maya Lopez Echo, she she's a Native American, she's a Native American, and she like is, is um, she's deaf, and Marvel Studios went out of their way, Jackson, to cast her, and she it's so she's actually from Menominee um, Menominee Reservation, Wisconsin. She's from Wisconsin. Which oh is my god, cool. really? But so she is a Native American actress. But Jackson, get the, she is she is also deaf. Like, they are not, they cast, they actually cast her. And if you see in the TV show, she is an amputee. Yeah. She does, um, and the character in the comics isn't like that. The actress actually is. And so they were thinking about CGI and the leg over, maybe changing it. And then they were just like, no, we just keep it. And so what you're seeing, that's actually her doing all of that. You know. Isn't that crazy? That is incredible. Um. I haven't seen Eternals yet, but I know Lauren Ridloff, who is in the movie, is also a deaf actress. And mm-hmm. I think what the MCU is doing in terms of, especially dis- representation of people with disabilities, is amazing. And as someone who is on the autism spectrum and who is disabled in that way, like that is something to just be so happy about and so happy that we are getting this representation through characters that are extremely compelling and extremely interesting and fucking badass she she has been so bad she is fantastic and like i learned all of that and it's like it's it's i'm not gonna sit here and be like congratulations marvel because they should have been doing it in the first place but it's like like how many times this is like I feel like this is the first major like time that like a, a studio is going out of their I mean they have they're changing the like the whole character yeah. to fit this actress and I think that is fan because they're keeping it authentic they're keeping it super authentic and I think that is like incredible and she's doing a fantastic job she's getting her own spin-off show 
Already. So the whole reason I mention her is to talk about how fantastic she is, but then to also say that I've heard the rumors amongst the trades are that we're gonna is that Echo will act as a like the main point to introduce the Daredevil characters back into the MCU. Yes. It won't be like it won't be like a Daredevil season four because it's gonna center around Echo. But it's supposed to be like the main point, like we'll see these character tees, maybe like first appearances, but like the Echo TV show is when they're all supposed to come, is when all right. it all kind of comes together. Well, now I'm more excited, and like just so I'm just as the point, just at the point where I was like starting to get burnt out of the MCU again, like where I had been disappointed by the end of Loki, um, where I had been, um. Well, I love I love Shang Chi, um, but did I did I say say an opinion you disagreed with Sam? That's totally okay. I was I was gonna say I didn't I did not realize you didn't like the end of Loki. Do you you know if you've listened to a couple other episodes of this podcast, you know that like it it just didn't feel like a satisfying ending. But that's a whole too much of a too much of a cliffhanger. Yeah, that's a whole other story. Apologies, apologies. Um, but I was but I was starting to get like. Because, like, yeah, I'm excited for Spider-Man, but I know it's not going to live up to my expectations unless, unless we see Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock. And you know what? I think that's the perfect, like, thesis statement to sort of end the episode on. Like, this is such a compelling character and a compelling world centered around Matt Murdock that we need to see these stories again. Um, they, we, they've done them twice. They've done the Netflix series. They've done the movie. But if we can see these characters in the MCU on a much larger scale, I am so excited to see what they're about to do. Me too. And I think that's a perfect way to put it, the larger scale, because while the Netflix shows are, I mean, you heard how we talk about them, it's considered, I think it's the greatest comic book show of all time. It, it definitely still felt so standalone, which worked for it sometimes, mm-hmm. but it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be an MCU thing, but then it wasn't. And so it felt like at least the world it was trying to set up never really found its footing. And I think that's why Defenders didn't do too well Yeah, is because while they tried building up this world, when you tried taking it to that larger scale, it never worked because it didn't have its footing placed. And so I'm hoping, I'm praying, I trust in Kevin Feige now that he's technically will be running Daredevil, that he will, we will have Daredevil find its footing in the larger picture. I hope so too. Thank you for being on the podcast, Sam. This was a oh, wonderful time. Jackson. Um, you mentioned Avengers Academy earlier. We will have you on back for that because that is a, such an interesting story that I want to talk about. And I got thank- a lot to talk about when it comes to that. <laughs> and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I think we both did. And remember, if you want to get swole, just grab your underlings, get in a speedo and start punching. Goodbye, everybody.
Recommended reading with Jackson Heyman's theme music was written by Charlotte Rosenthal. Recommended reading with Jackson Heyman is produced by Mythonomica Productions. Thank you for listening.